0: So now we're going to focus on 1 Samuel 21 through 23. Have you ever felt like you were desperate or like you were in a desperate situation? I know I have. And I'm going to tell you about a desperate situation that I found myself in. Um, In 2003, my husband was led to move our family to Orlando, to the Orlando area. We have lived in this Memphis area our entire lives. And um, we were taken to Orlando. We went. We call those the uh, desert years. Um, It was extremely challenging for our family. A lot of good came out of it, but a lot of it was extremely challenging. So in the fall of 2005, our family was going through a tough time. We had a lot going on. We had recently moved into a new house a few weeks after having our fifth child, who was a sweet, unexpected blessing from the Lord. We had delivered our oldest son to college in a town where we knew no one and he knew two people. My husband, who the reason we moved to Orlando was so he wouldn't be traveling as much, began traveling again. Um, And we had three other children in three different schools at three different times. Our regular routine was our high schooler would leave for the bus stop and he had to be at school at seven. Then I would take our said baby Hank, in his little car seat, and Luke, who was in first grade, to the bus stop to leave for school at eight, and Camille would stay home and get ready to be driven to school to be at school at nine. So we had three drop-offs. That meant we had three pickups. So our life was really kind of crazy. Well, on this one particular morning, I had put Hank in his car seat and gone to the bus stop, and being an ever-vigilant mother, had not left him in the car, got him out in my, with the car seat on my arm, and gotten and looked to the bus stop. And the parents that were at that bus stop, remember, we've moved into a new house in a new community. We didn't know many people. I had met a few of these parents at the bus stop, but I was definitely the new kid on the block. So when, when I got out there at the bus stop, They were all abuzz. There was just this lot of conversation, and so I was listening, and they started talking about how they had seen on the news that there was a black bear out on the loose from the Wekaver uh, Reserve, which was across the street from our neighborhood, and one of them even said they had seen it along the creek bed in our uh, neighborhood. I'm not falling for that. I don't know why I thought this, but I thought they're trying to play a joke on me. And they're trying because you know it was all revolving around me during that time they were playing a joke on me and i was not going to fall for it so i just stood back there thinking (laughs) they got nothing on me this is like a high school snipe hunt. there's no such thing as a black bear in middle in central florida what are they talking about i will not fall from this so i put my sweet little baby back in the car and it, at the bu- to go home from the bus stop, I had to come down the street, turn right, turn right, go through a gate, and our house was about four houses down on the right. As I'm driving there, kind of laughing and chuckling to myself at my intelligence and not falling for this silly joke, I happen to recognize that in front of my driveway, in the street in front of my driveway, which is where my car is pointed, is a standing black bear. A alive black bear <laughs> not a joke it was not a joke and so i had i went into an immediate panic if you can imagine because my precious adorable daughter was inside and i don't know why i thought if that bear was standing in my driveway he'd got my daughter in the house <laughs> but i did and i had this baby that i had to get out and get him into the house to check on my daughter we had just moved. Our garage was not that clean. We couldn't park in the garage. So I opened the garage door, jump out of the car, grab the car seat, run into the house, open the door to the kitchen, go in, get the baby in safely, yell for Camille, close the garage door. <sighs> we are safe. Except there's a bird flying around my living room. <laughs> I'm not ki- Am I making this up? I'm not making this up. There was a bird flying around our living room. So I did the only thing I could think to do. I called the one person that could encourage me and help me decide what I should do and point me in the right direction. And that person was my husband. Now, I was in Orlando on Eastern time. He was in San Antonio, not on Eastern time. He was not fully awake when I called him. And when he answered the phone, I said, Hey, do you think if I open the door to let the bird out of our house, the bear's going to come in? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that to me was somewhat of a desperate situation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how God's purposes are accomplished even through desperate situations and desperate people. So let's pray again. Father, I praise you today for who you are. I praise you today for your word. I thank you so much for each of these women that have gathered here today to hear the words that you have given me. Lord, I pray that I would speak truth, that I would um, speak the words you need them to hear today. Lord, speak through me, use me as your instrument, and may truth be heard here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so David was in a desperate situation, and Saul was just playing out de- desperate, as we look at 1 Samuel 21 through 23 today, I want us to think about how God's purposes are still accomplished through desperate circumstances and desperate people. I'm going to say that a lot because when we're in a desperate situation, are we, when we are desperate, we need to remember that God's purposes can be accomplished through desperate situations and desperate people. To that end, I want us to look at four points today. I want us to look at David's desperate circumstances. I want us to look at Saul's desperation. I want us to remember our own desperation. And I want to talk about our response to desperate uh, circumstances. So what do we already know about David when we come to these chapters? We know that he is God's choice for king over Israel. We know he has a heart for God given to him by God. He knows God's word. He knows God's commandments, and he seeks to be obedient to them. He has a friend, Jonathan, ironically, Saul's son and the rightful heir to the throne, who forms a covenant with him based on their devotion to the Lord. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, we are told that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from, and was with him from that day forward. And we also know that David is a type of Christ. As we come to chapter 21, though, we see some really crazy things going on. David is on the run. He has been warned by Jonathan that Saul is intent on killing him. Jonathan, who is Saul's son and David's covenantal friend, has let David know that his life is in danger and he needs to get away. So David ends up in Nob with Ahimelech, the priest. He needs food. And Ahimelech provides for him by giving him the bread of presents also known as the holy bread. He also gave David the sword that belonged to Goliath. Now, I don't know about you, but having studied Leviticus before, I gasped at the fact that David was going to eat the holy bread. I was trying to figure out why he would accept the bread that had a specific role from God. But as you hopefully discovered in your homework this week, Jesus told this story in Matthew 2, 1 through 8, in response to his disciples being hungry and the Pharisees accusing them of doing the unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus' response was that if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Because David had a heart for God and the Holy Spirit was upon him, his acceptance of the bread was not breaking the intent of God's commandments. Rather, it was accepting God's provision. David moves on to Gath, where he became afraid of the king of Gath because the king had been reminded of the song that had upset Saul so much. You remember Saul has struck down his thousands. David has struck down his ten thousands. So what does David do? He pretends to be insane. Now, David is pretending to be something he is not. How is that reflective of a king after God's own heart? Well, let's look at Psalm 34 for some clarity on that. If you have your Bible, open to Psalm 34, because we're going to look at it a couple times today. The heading of this psalm tells us that this psalm is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Kind of sounds intentional, right? And then we hear the first seven verses that David says at this time. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. We know that David feared the Lord. We know that David had the spirit on him. Do we know if this acting of insanity was a mistruth, a lie? It seems a little odd. But what we do know about it is that God used it to accomplish his purpose and that David's intent at that time was not that he had walked away from the Lord, but that he was still seeking the Lord and still praising the Lord for who he was and seeking his protection and his guidance. Because that's what he wrote in this psalm about this time. Now, we talked about how David is a sort of Christ. He is a sort of Christ. He is not a Christ. Therefore, he is like you and I, and he is a sinner saved by God's purposes and God's grace. Does he do everything right no, but I'm not going to question this situation because I hear what his intent was. And the Lord, I think the Lord honors his intent and delivers him. I know he does. I know he delivers him. God's purpose was for David to be the reigning king of Israel. And this was just one more step on the journey to get there. David escapes to the cove of Adalim, where he is joined by his family and about 400 other men. God takes David's desperate circumstances And begins to accomplish his purpose for David by having him reign over them as his commander. It's also a picture of who comes to him. They were the hungry. They were the desolate. They weren't the beautiful people. And that is who we see Jesus there. Jesus calls us to him where we're at. And these people came to David where they were. And God appointed him commander over them. At the end of chapter 22, David offers refuge for Abathar. And I love what David says to him in verse 23. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. David knew who he followed and knew he was trustworthy. David is leaning into the truth he knows and is being led by the Spirit. In chapter 23, the threat from Saul begins to escalate. But God has set David up for success through his protection and guidance. Also, in chapter 23, in verse 26... Jonathan went to David, and we are told that Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. Hold on to that for a minute because we're going to come back to it after we look at Saul and a couple other things. So let's move on to Saul. What do we know about Saul at this point? We know that Saul, that God has rejected Saul as the king of Israel. We know that the Spirit of God departed from him, 1 Samuel 16, 14. We know that a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. We know that even his son saw who he was and distanced himself from him. We know that he disobeyed God's commands. We know that he was concerned with only himself. Saul is a type of antichrist. And I hope you saw that as you did your homework and understood why we make that statement. Beginning in chapter 18, we see the downward spiral of Saul. He seems to be spinning out of control. And while David's circumstances seemed desperate, Saul himself seems desperate. Samuel has already informed Saul in chapter 15, verse 26, that because he has rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected Saul from being king over Israel. Saul knew it was over, but he wasn't going to go quietly. Saul has basically put a bounty out on David's life. He has attempted to kill David three times with his spear, and all three times he was unsuccessful. That is because God's purposes were for David to be king of Israel. And he allowed David to escape those attempts because God was accomplishing his purposes in David for Israel during those attempts even. In chapter 22, Saul gets word that David has been discovered. He complains to his servants that they have all conspired against him by not telling him that Jonathan has made a covenant with David. He gets angry with Ahimelech for providing for David and demands the servants kill all the priests. The servants refuse, but Doag the Edomite, Edomite fine young man that he was. He Remember, he had overseen David receiving um, provisions in 22 Uh, He had overseen David receiving provisions earlier, and now in 22, 18, and 19, he steps up. He told that, that he, we are told that he killed the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep he put to the sword. Even in this unfathomable situation, God's purposes are being fulfilled. Think back to chapter 2 of 1 Samuel where God, in verses 30 through 34, declared he would cut off the house of Eli forever. This horrid action by Doeg under the direction of the spiraling Saul fulfilled that promise that God made. God's purposes were not defeated by David's desperate circumstances Or by Saul's desperation. God was not surprised by any of this and continued working his will and his way out through these conditions. So, what does desperation look like for us? At one point, we were all desperate. We were desperate because of our sin. We were all Saul's. Every one of us has been a Saul where we have been concerned about our own purposes, our own goals, our own desires. Our hearts have been sinful. We have disregarded the commandments of the Lord. But in God's mercy, we didn't have to stay us all. God has provided a remedy to reconcile us to him by giving us a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, y'all could probably all say this with me, but I'm going to read it to you. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 29, And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. We are given a new heart and freedom in Christ. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't mean we won't find ourselves in desperate situations, just like David. Go back with me for a moment to the illustration I shared with you in the beginning. It kind of sounds funny when I start talking about the bear and the bird. And I actually kind of think the bear and the bird were a gift from God, that he used that humorous situation to get my attention. My situation seemed desperate at the time. Several of my life experiences were huge triggers for desperate feelings. My son had flown the nest. I wasn't sleeping well because I had a newborn. I was in a new neighborhood and had not plugged into community yet, and the list can go on and on. I sank into what I perceived to be the reality of my situation instead of recognizing on the acts of uh, and acting on truth. The truth was, I was a new creation in Christ. My focus should have been on God's working through my circumstances to refine me for my good and for his glory. And praise his name, he got my attention through a black bear and a bird. So what can we learn from David's reaction to um, his situation? We can know who we serve. David served God. Saul served himself. We cannot serve both God and self. We must know which one we will follow. We can know who we serve. We have been given resources to know God more and more. God's word, God's spirit. We can trust God regardless of our circumstances because we see where he works. We can remember that we are safe in Jesus. Psalm 18, 2 through 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Um, When I think about knowing God, and I do, I want to know God more and more every day. I want to understand his ways. I want to understand his purposes. And he has given me resources to do that. But I thought about this example and thought about it in terms of knowing God. And so about seven years ago, I became a mother-in-law. I became a mother-in-law to one son-in-law who was delightful. I had known him almost all of his life. So there's, it's really easy to be a mother-in-law to a son-in-law. I became a mother-in-law to a daughter-in-law who is precious and sweet. And at the time, my new daughter-in-law was a part of my son's life. So I treated her like a daughter-in-law too. And I thought, I know how to do this. I have a daughter. I know how to do this. This will not be any problem at all. So when Christmas rolled around, I bought them. I wanted them to know how much I loved them and that I loved them as much as I loved my daughter. My sweet friend, Patty Alford, had told me that to be a good mother-in-law to a daughter, you have to remember that she's not been around you your whole life and she doesn't know that you love her unconditionally. So I was going to show them. I was going to show them I loved them unconditionally by giving them the exact same things I gave my daughter. So they got an adorable monogrammed Patagonia, and they got some beautiful broken glass by Carrie Evans necklaces. And I was so proud because I picked out different colors for each of them, and I, in necklaces and the Patagonia. My daughter about did a backflip through the gym because she was so excited because she wanted a monogrammed Patagonia. And my sweet daughter-in-law said, Thank you, Edie. It was not exactly the response I was expecting. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll see them wearing it. It'll be okay. No, I have not seen them wear that Patagonia one single time. Or that necklace, one single time. Granted, one of them lives in Montana. You would think a modern Grand Patagonia might come into, might help. But the, I read during that time frame, shortly after that, I read a few books on being a mother-in-law. Carol had suggested a few books. And one of them that I opened, the very first thing it talked about was, don't assume your daughter-in-law is like your daughter. (laughs) Why was that revolutionary? I don't know. (laughs) But it it said in order to know your daughter-in-law and to love her well, you have to study her over and over and over again. And so that's what I'm doing now. But along with that, that reminds me that I'm never going to know the fullness of God. I have to study him over and over and over again so that I can learn more and more and more about him so that I can be a David in desperate circumstances and trust the Lord fully. Another thing we can do is we can lean into what we know is true. Let's go back to Psalm 34 for a minute. Then I'm going to read the last parts of that psalm. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Remember, David wrote that while he was acting insane in the midst of desperate situations. Last week, Kim challenged us, challenged us to be a covenant-keeping friend, to enter into covenant-keeping relationships. We see a wonderful example of that in Jonathan and David. Their relationship was based on a mutual love of the Lord, They modeled steadfast love to one another. They were not afraid to confront each other when things got desperate. They uh, they held each other to the truth, and they pointed each other to God. And that's what we can do. We can form relationships that are based on the love of the Lord. We have ample resources in this room. We can model steadfast love. We should not be afraid to confront sin in those lives that we are in covenant relationships with. And we should have friends, covenant friendships, with people who will hold us to the truth and always point us to Jesus, no matter our circumstances, just as Jonathan did by strengthening David in the Lord. Finally, we can do the next right thing. David had the Spirit of God on him, guiding him and leading him exactly where God wanted him in order to fulfill God's purposes for David. If we belong to Jesus, we have the Spirit of God within us, guiding us and leading us exactly where God wants us to fulfill his purposes for our good and his glory. Sometimes the circumstances can be painful, but we can hold on to his word in our heart to keep on keeping on. I want to finish with Psalm 143, 8, 10. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Let's pray. Father, we, so, we are so thankful that you are sovereign. What a joy it is to know that you're not lifting your hand off our circumstances when we're in the midst of desperation. You're right there fulfilling your purposes. I praise you that, for that, Lord. I praise you, how you've worked in my life through desperation to bring me closer to you, Lord. I pray that that would be the case for each of us that feels desperate for any reason, that we would be able to look to you and remember who you are. You are holy. You are trustworthy. You will fulfill your your purposes. In you we can trust. Lead us by your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.